The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief story maker at Elkins Consulting. For today's guest, I, I was so pleased to get back in touch with this woman. Her name is Amy Oviat, and we went to high school together. And many years ago, I was visiting my brother who lives in Denver, and he was living right off of Platt Street. And I remember walking into a shop, it's called Phoebe's Past and Present. And I had to show my ID to use my credit card. And Amy said, oh my gosh, I knew it. You look so familiar. Now I see your ID. You're Sarah Elkins. We went to high school together. And I I don't know why I didn't recognize you right away because your face looks exactly the same as it did when we were in high school. But for some reason, I think I just wasn't in that place where I expected to run into someone I knew. And ever since then, I've been keeping tabs on all these entrepreneurial adventures that you've had over the years. And listeners, you are in for a treat. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so pleased. I didn't remember exactly how that story played out, but I knew that we had, I remembered that we had reconnected through Phoebe's and Phoebe's was such a heart-filled project or enterprise for me. It was sort of the one thing I had always thought I would do was to have a gift shop. So I remembered that, but there were so many impactful things around that. And I don't have the greatest memory for detail, but I remembered Mm -hmm. that it was with your family at Phoebe's. And I was really pleased to run run into you guys. I didn't know your family when we were in high school. I didn't really know your brother. I don't think I was there when your sister was there because she's older. She's younger. Yeah. So she she was, she would have been a freshman when you were a senior. Okay. So I didn't really know them, but your whole family is so lovely and friendly. I also follow your brother on Facebook and it's just fun back at you. Basically, I enjoy watching you as well and connecting every so often. That is so much fun. And what's really, I think, ironic about all this is that I really didn't like high school. I did not have fond memories of high school. I remember feeling awkward and self-conscious and very unpopular. I remember like really difficult situations in high school. And there are only a handful of people that I actually remember interacting with in high school. And you are one of them. And um, so I, I find it so fascinating that I'm we are now in touch with people we went to high school with. And if it hadn't been for that moment with you at Phoebe's, I'm not sure I would have continued to watch Facebook interactions of other people from our high school. But you encouraged me because I remember running into you and thinking, how lovely it was to reconnect like that with somebody from the past, especially somebody who wasn't involved in the drama that I remember and have that that visceral reaction from. I am, I'm fascinated. We're a couple of minutes into this podcast and I'm fascinated already at how this is playing out. I have found many instances in my life where high school has become instrumental. I didn't have I had a great time in high school. I did things I enjoyed. I also had some traumatic experiences 
But I certainly didn't consider it a great time in my life. I remember thinking, oh, I'm about to graduate and a lot of this drama that goes on that seems so petty and unkind, I'll be able to leave behind when I get to college. And then I got to college and discovered that it was happening there too. And I thought, okay, well, maybe when I graduate from college, it'll be better and I won't have to deal with drama and and petty conflicts and things like that. And I graduated and I got a job and looked around and thought, huh. So it turns out that's just a function of being a human, (laughs) (laughs) a function of where you've placed yourself. But I have, I'm very grateful that you said that. It made me want to cry in the beginning. I am a fairly empathic, emotional person. I'm a pretty heart-centered person. And I am very grateful that you shared that with me. I did not know that. I want to be discreet for her sake because she's a very private person, but I am good friends with someone else that I went to junior high and went to Air Academy with from my particular class. And she has similar feelings about high school. She pretty much hated it. And she got out of there early and she moved back. I never thought I would come back to our hometown, but I did. Same for her. And so she reached out to me through Facebook when she was moving back here and said, I really need some like-minded friends I'd like to connect. And we ran in very different circles in high school. And because of my previously mentioned bad memory, I don't always remember some of the details. And I tend to get anxious about, have I, was I kind? Because certainly as a teenager, you are reactive and you're absorbed with your stuff. And so hopefully I was not, I know there were some times where I was unkind and behaved in ways that I'm not proud of, but for the most part, I tried to be kind. And she said, you were one of the first people when I moved into that district who was kind to me. She said, we shared a class together and I always looked forward to that class. This sounds like bragging. I don't mean it to. No, not at all. I hear it. Okay. (laughs) So she expressed that she felt safe in that class because I was there. And that is another thing that just, it makes me want to cry in a good way because I would certainly hope that I'm a person who create safety for other people because we all need that and want that. And she and I are very different in some ways, but she has been incredibly supportive of me and actually is has been very instrumental in my latest venture, which is to become a certified hypnotherapist. I don't think I would have done it if it weren't for her. She recognized some things in me and reflected them back to me. And continued to push when I was perhaps Mm -hmm. resistant, not push in a bad way, but encourage would be a better word. So we are what I would call sort of spiritual. She and I share spiritual views in common. And she refers to our high school as a place where a reincarnational group happened. I'm a person who believes in multiple lives and soul contracts and that we Um, make some agreements at a soul level about the things we want to work on. And it's been really interesting to see how much of that has played out through people from high school. It's just, I can't deny it anymore. The the connections that I find have um, given me, put put a lot of credence to that idea of this reincarnational group. And that plays out in some positive ways and some not so positive ways, but they're all learning experiences. Wow. That's so fascinating. I never would have thought of that as like a group orientation, but I read a book. It was one of the first books that made me a reader. 
Yeah, I read a lot of Stephen King, and that's what made me a reader in high school. But I read a book called Green Darkness by Anya Seton, and it's just a it's a romantic historic fiction novel. And but the reason it came to mind is because it's a story about a group like that, where they are they the first part of the book is in the present. And it's a couple that's about to get married, and they're from very different worlds. And this group comes together in a familial castle, ancestral castle. And um, then you're thrown back in time to um, the the second part of the book, which takes place in, I don't know, like 100 years before, more than 100 years before. And then you understand the dynamics of this group and why they have been thrown back together into the present. So the the last part is coming back to the present and having this reckoning of what happened in previous lives. It was a fascinating book. And from that point, I definitely had this thought about how that works and certain people that keep coming back together. So, but that's, Wow, we could go that direction, but I, I would like to go back a little bit as we're recording this episode. I'm sure that this will come full circle because it always does somehow. There's a talent in StrengthsFinder called connectedness, and that's the part of us that doesn't believe in coincidence. It's the part of us when it's high in your talents, you see interconnections like that in a way that most people would dismiss as coincidence or they just don't see that it matters, but we understand the connectedness of all things. So it's in my top talents. It's definitely in my brother's and I'm pretty 99% sure it's in yours and our other friend, probably a mutual friend from high school, but let's go back. I know our listeners kind of get used to this uh, habit or routine of my asking my guests to share something about themselves that most people don't know. And you've already established such a personal connection with this conversation that it's, I don't find it as necessary to go back into that. But because you had been thinking about it, we talked about this before I hit record. I want to hear it because now I'm curious. (laughs) So what can you share about yourself that most people don't know about you? Well, as I said to you, uh, pre-recording, I am a very open person for those who are astrology people. I'm a Sagittarius. I don't, you don't have to believe in that to know if you know me that I will tell or ask most anyone, most anything. I try to have a filter. I try to be respectful of boundaries and not make people uncomfortable. But And perhaps it sometimes is a a defense mechanism, like it takes the sting out if I've already said that I know this thing about me. (laughs) But you, yeah, you gave me an example. And ironically, it goes back to high school, which is really funny. Again, that coming around full circle. I was... Uh, if you recall superlatives from high school, the most likely to this, the class clown, all those things, I was voted most likely to make a million. And I think it had to do with the fact that my mother had purchased a flower shop when I was uh, 11 years old and I'd always worked in it. And then she bought or opened a bridal shop. And I worked in both of those ventures growing up actual paid jobs. In fact, at 13, when some girls are kind of um, a little cranky and testy, I was being a little cranky and testy and she fired me, (laughs) which was a great lesson because yeah, I was like, great. Didn't want to be here anyway. Peace out. And then a few weeks later, 
when I didn't have money to buy the things I'd been accustomed to having money, I had to go crawling back cat in hand and ask for my job back. So it gave the impression to people that I was very business oriented. I was in DECA and went a fair ways with that. But what people probably don't realize, especially if they know me from Phoebe's or they know me from that, is that I have wrestled with a lot of issues around money in my life. And I think I am just now coming to terms with that. I had great discomfort with the idea of having a lot of money. It seemed underneath that was a lot of wounds and insecurities related to money. So I don't know how much of that we want to get into, but it's just interesting to me that there was this impression of me that I was money-oriented when I was never money-oriented. And I am still getting comfortable with the idea of deserving abundance, shall we say. You mentioned my store. I loved my store. It was beautiful. And I made so many friendships in that neighborhood, but I never thought that I deserved to make money and do something I loved. And unfortunately, that's what I manifested. I made it four years and then I had to close the doors and I was devastated. But looking back on it, I very much had that limiting belief and I've had to really work through a lot of that. So I think people who voted for me (laughs) were that most likely to make a million would be surprised or maybe disappointed that I have not turned out to be on some list of wealthy people somewhere. That's so interesting. Uh, And oh my gosh. So you're really throwing me into this concept of authenticity that I've been writing about and talking about for 10 years. And the reason this popped into my head is that there are some things people see in us that are true, that are deeply truths about us that we don't see in ourselves. And it can take decades to finally see it in ourselves. So they were not wrong, Amy. They were just delayed. I mean, that's early and I'm delayed. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's just it. They saw it in you. They knew the potential. And and then there are the other situations. Well, and I'm living this myself. And I think we, many of us live this, that unless we can get behind it and see the truth in it, it's going to take us a whole lot longer to get there if, if we ever do. But here's my example. When, and I've written this story down, I've told this story. When uh, my mom came to visit, it was about five years into my time singing with a rock band, which I didn't start singing professionally until I was almost 40. And then with a rock band, I was 40 when I started singing with the rock band. That's kind of unusual, right? And yes, I, so I'm standing in the kitchen with my mom. She had come to visit. She had driven out and we were laying out homemade beef jerky onto, rat, onto racks to dehydrate. So she'd have road trip food on her way back when she was driving home to California. And we're standing in, our, in my kitchen in Montana. She says, If you had told me 10 years ago, I'd be standing in your kitchen in Montana making homemade beef jerky. I never would have believed that because I was a city girl. I had this vision of myself being in a city. I I didn't see myself doing things from scratch like that. I've always loved to cook, but beef jerky, and I laughed and I said, you're not kidding. I mean, we just put up pickles last month. If you had told me I was going to be putting up pickles in my early 40s, 
And then the next thing out of my mouth was, if you had told me 10 years ago, I'd be singing in a rock band in go boots. I never would have believed you. And she looked at me very seriously and she said, I believe that. So she could believe the boots more than the beef jerky. Yeah. (laughs) That's fascinating. It is fascinating. And where I didn't see myself there at all, being front of the house, being on stage, I was always in choir. I was always singing backup vocals or in choir, right? It was never me up front. And I didn't want to be. I kind of wanted to be, but I was so self-conscious and I was so shy. It was crazy. In high school, I was shy and people like, who was it? Craig Cole said, oh, I I don't, I never saw you that way. But I remember being so self-conscious. But that's what I'm saying is that people like my mom saw this in me long before I could have seen it in me because I was 40. So yeah, we're in our early 50s now and it hasn't happened yet. But they saw that potential in you. Many people must have. And I don't think it was about the money. I would like to back that up a little too. I don't think they saw you as making a million as it being about the money. It was about how hard you worked and about how meticulous you were about planning the business and making sure things were in place so that success could happen. It wasn't about the money. It was about the success, which is, I really, I think it's a critical factor to separate what you see, how you describe success from how much money you make. I agree. I agree. Success feels really different. And that actually, in a way, contributed to how my, how Phoebe's gift shop played out because I had a vision for what it look would look like and how people would interact with the business. And I achieved all of that. This other piece was about internal blockages, self-worth, all of those things. But when I closed that store, I had customers crying on my shoulder. Oh, And I'm not necessarily equipped to handle that because I, of course, was devastated about it. But they're saying, oh, I'm going to miss your store so much. What are we going to do? Where am I going to go? And I'm That's lovely, but it was a high emotional burden at the time. But, you know, yeah, it was instrumental. I had to really unpack that for a good, I'm kind of, I take a long time to learn lessons. Some of my friends in high school, I doubt you would know this, but some of them called me Amy the Analyzer because I can perseverate like a dog with a bone. And I, oh, it's exhausting. But the upside of that part of me is that I really figure it out. It may take me a while, but I'm not somebody who ever just buries things and moves along. I must figure out the answer because I want to know and I want to figure it out and I want to address it if I can. So I perseverated and processed Phoebe's a long time. I had to grieve the loss of Phoebe's. It, it was where I thought I would, how I would spend my life. And when that didn't turn out to be true, I dealt with all these feelings of failure and inadequacy and all of these things. And I had to really spend time reframing that for myself. And I have done that, but it's it, there's still been this underlying issue that I have made really great progress on lately. And that's one of the reasons I'm here. So <laughs> thank yes, you for having uh, me. <laughs> perfect full circle. 
So without telling me what you do, you're going to tell me what you do. I would like to hear about a recent experience when you worked with somebody doing the hypnotherapy that you've been training for. I know you're working toward your certification, but you have to have a certain number of hours, right? And clients to be able to attract uh, those. Actually, I am certified. I Oh, okay. I am certified. I, yeah, I completed a program that all told becomes about a thousand hours of coursework. It's about seven and a half out, seven um, academic hours, and then 300 or so in pro bono hours. And I have been practicing in a limited capacity since I got that certification in 2020. But I have uh, the, the main way I pay my bills is something else. And I have what I would have said before is that I was struggling to shift gears and multitask and try and build those two things together. But in reality, what I can now say is that I still needed to heal some things before I could step fully into this. That other job is um, a safety net. It provides, it pays my bills. And there are some things that I love about it and some very good things, but I'm ready to move on. So I actually have worked with clients over a couple of years, but just not to the level that I plan to achieve. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Okay. We're so speaking. tell me about a client, an interaction following a session with you where you were like, oh my gosh, this is why I'm doing what I do. This is amazing. Well, if I may, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to do it a little bit differently than what you've asked me just because it's something very recent and we can, I, I can give you another example if this turns out to not be it. But one of the things I have done to sort of fill in the gaps as financial gaps that we're all dealing with in these times with inflation and crazy stuff is last winter, because I, our company is seasonal, I decided to work as a substitute teacher. Now, I have no teaching background and no children, so I have not been in a school realm in, like that in decades. And essentially... In Colorado, at least, I imagine it's the same everywhere else. If you have a back, um, if you have a bachelor's degree and pass the background check, boom, you are a substitute teacher, and they will throw you in there. <laughs> no one really trains you, teaches you how to do anything, and so every day you are thinking on your feet. So I've continued to do that, and I worked as a substitute teacher yesterday at a school that amazingly I attended for two years um, for fifth and sixth grade. And during one of the classes, I was working as a floater. So I was only with each group of students for one period, which means there's no rapport built. They barely know my name. I certainly don't know theirs. And so they were working on the assignment that they had been given when there came some very loud noises and disruption from the hallway, swearing, some pretty disturbing sounds. So I immediately went over to the door and looked down the hallway and way down the hallway, more than further than I could make out the detail, there was a fight going on, a physical fight and a lot of swearing. So I closed the door and within a few minutes, they came on the overhead system and declared it a lockdown situation. I had not yet experienced that working as a sub. And it certainly was something that had been on my mind um, from the time I started doing it. So I'm now in a room with 
30 children and a couple of ASL interpreters. And I am there and it's up to me to kind of get things under control. These children were fifth graders, so they were a little bit older, but they were still pretty freaked out and they wanted to know what was going on. And I didn't have any more information than they did other than that I had witnessed this fight. So I had them all sit down at their desk and I decided to talk with them about something that I learned in hypnotherapy. I learned a fair amount about the fight flight instinct, how that happens in our body, what its effects are, and some of the ways that you can counter those effects. And so I explained some of that to them. I certainly had no idea how familiar they were with fight flight, but we were all experiencing anxiety. So I spent maybe five, 10 minutes talking to them about this, and I led them through a breathwork exercise Because what we learn in hypnotherapy, we learn about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is the part of us that when fight flight is activated, prepares the body to fight or to flight. And we know there's more now. There's freeze. And I think the other one is fawn. But it does all sorts of things in the body that once, (laughs) while you're dealing with them, maybe don't feel pleasant. And then once the situation is over, you're stuck with all of this. So we've all experienced this. Let's say you have a near miss car accident and you get past the situation and your heart is beating and perhaps you feel a little chilly or a little hot. There's all these different things. So I led them in this breathwork exercise and it really did seem to calm them down. And the one of the ASL interpreters approached me and said, thank you so much. I feel better. I had no idea what to do. <laughs> so I'm really grateful you were here. And we were all on lockdown for a while longer. And then finally, when they lifted that, their teacher came back to class and I went on about my business. But I was grateful that in an unexpected way, my hypnotherapy training came into play to help some children who weren't even my clients and weren't asking for a session. (laughs) So I don't know how that, how that, if that answers your question, but it's just a timely example. Well, what it does to me is it gives a very clear understanding of the practical value of the training you have. You know, because I know that there are people who are like, oh gosh, hypnosis. And they're probably very dismissive of the idea and, or they think, well, yeah, it might work for somebody else, but it won't work for me. But that kind of interaction that you had with that classroom full of kids, everyone could use that moment of having somebody around that can say, oh, wait a minute, let's take a breath here. Here's what's happening Mm -hmm. with your body. Let's just walk through what's happening with your body as you're breathing. This is what's going on in your brain. This is the neuroscience behind it at a level that is so practical that even somebody who would otherwise be dismissive of that kind of training, they can clearly understand how that brings value to anyone in any circumstance. And that's actually one of the things that I love the most about hypnotherapy is that despite its reputation, which there's many reasons for having the reputation, there's horror movies out there that have been (laughs) for decades that have equated it to brainwashing, which is not at all the case. Brainwashing Mm -hmm. requires sleep deprivation and practical torture that has nothing to do with hypnotherapy, or they get their idea from having seen a stage show for entertainment. I myself, when I was young, my stepbrother uh, participated in a stage hypnosis show at the county fair. And here's this big 
burly looking guy and they got him to dance around like Dolly Parton singing nine to five. And it's legendary in our family, (laughs) but that's not at all what I do. And it's very practical. So while I fully believe in therapy, um, traditional therapy, CBT, or however it plays out for you. And I see value in a lot of modalities. What I really appreciate about hypnotherapy is it's very forward focused. It's very focused on what is your current reality? Where do you want to go and how can we get you there? And that's what I value so much about it. I am fascinated by people's stories and I do spend time with sort of traditional talk therapy so that we can really identify where they're going and what the blocks are. But then the actual hypnosis piece itself is, first of all, it's the theta brainwave state. We all experience this literally every single day before we fall asleep. It's nothing unusual or unfamiliar. And in that state, you still have the ability to be aware and respond if you need to. And additionally, I can't make you do something that is not in alignment with your values. So even though my stepbrother in his normal life would not dance around like Dolly Parton, he is somebody who's willing to entertain. And so those people that you see participating in those shows, they have a certain personality and stage hypnotists are adept at picking out the best subjects for that. So hypnotherapists are not the same thing. Hypnotherapy employs hypnosis, but hypnotism is its own animal also. Mm, That makes sense. Tell me about a, a treatment that was successful, that you worked with a client that they were, I don't know, trying to quit smoking or dealing with finance blocking in their heads. Like, I think one thing that I experience in my work as a communication coach is that many times a boss will come to me thinking that the problem is A, and they'll say, oh, this person, blah, blah, blah. And then I come in and realize, oh, no, they just, they hired me to fix this one person, but it's not the person that is causing the problem. It's the crappy culture or it's this leader that thinks that this person's broken because they think differently. And so I go in with the expectation that I'm going to solve this problem, but that's not actually what's what the problem is. So I'm sure you have that experience as well, but tell me about a successful experience with one of your clients. So it's interesting because hypnotherapy definitely, for, even for those who do accept it or are not absolutely against it, they think of it for smoking cessation or weight loss or phobias. And it does help with all of those things. But just like So I'm echoing what you're saying, because an example that comes to mind is a young woman I worked with, and this is actually, uh, she was one of my pro bono clients. I was um, not yet certified and she had a fear of driving and she had not driven in years. I want to say three, might've been two or three years. She was living in, um, I think LA County and was having to either take the bus or get rides from people and was just tired of it. And I could tell that she thought that it was just this issue of being afraid of traffic or afraid of this. But in reality, it went back to family systems and having been instilled with her caregivers' fears, having been raised with, raised by people who had incredible anxiety and who passed that on to her. And through our work together, we uncovered that general. Uh, part of her upbringing 
but also she sort of identified or shared some specific experiences that contributed to it. And by the end, we had her driving. She had purchased a car. She, one of the things we do is we try and find some practical actions that in that situation that a client can take to put them back into feeling in control. So she bought this car and she took it to a mechanic and hired him to pay her how to do basic car care. And she took some driving lessons, which she had done before, but they had been really bad experiences because her parents had basically hired these instructors and said, our daughter's a terrible driver. So watch out, but can you help her? Yeah. Nothing (laughs) like the story your parents gave. Yes. And I mean, this one instructor, it was outrageous. He made her drive him to McDonald's where he got a meal and then she drove him back to her house and he charged her parents like 200 bucks for it. (laughs) So kind of a crazy situation. But so by the end, she'd purchased this car. She'd learned how to take care of it. She had refreshed herself on driving. She'd gotten her license and she successfully began driving. Now we had to stop our work when her father who had been kind of the primary one became, was diagnosed with a terminal illness and she had to go home and caretake him. But she indicated that she was very relieved that when she went home to help him, she was going to be able to drive and she wasn't going to be trapped in the house with him. So uh, that was a big success for me. I find though that the majority of the people who I tend to work with longer are people who, much like you're saying, they come to me thinking it's about one thing, but we end up unpacking all of these other things. Often, I've worked with a lot of women who have gotten divorced or had situations change in their life, and they are ready to kind of step into a new way of being. And we spend some time unpacking old stuff from the depths and sort of bringing it up to the light so we can work with it and make some changes. And I think it's less concrete than being able to say, I haven't driven in two years and now I drive, but I think they would report an improvement in their quality of life and certainly their emotional health, I guess is how I would put it. So what made you decide to do this? What was like the aha moment that, oh, I I want to be certified in this tool? Well, and here we come back to our high school group, the friend mm-hmm. that I mentioned earlier. I One thing I want to say before I give this answer is that although I am a person who is spiritual and has these beliefs in multiple lives and all those things, that is not part of hypnotherapy. So anyone who hears this, who thinks, well, I don't share those beliefs, I want to be clear, that's not necessary. One of the things we do as hypnotherapists is we work within your world, your belief system, your language. That's what makes it effective for you. So down to even if we notice you using certain phrases, or for example, let's say you're a person who curses when you talk, I will reflect that back to you in hypnotherapy because that is your language and that's what's effective. However, I, because I believe in past lives, I I discovered this when I rejected the religion I was raised in, in at the end of high school, and it caused family conflict. And I went searching for what I did believe in and 
ran across a book that introduced me to this concept of soul contracts and the idea that earth is a school where our soul seeks to evolve. And I heard it put this way once that I thought was lovely, which is if you believe in God to become closer and closer to God. Again, I've worked with atheists and people from multiple religions, multiple cultures. So that is not a prerequisite, but because of that belief, I uh, started learning and hearing about past life regressions. And I was very activated by hearing about it. <laughs> I first heard about it on Oprah, if you think back to decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, she featured a psychiatrist named Dr. Brian Weiss, who did not believe in any of this, but used hypnotherapy in his psychiatry practice and had found that by doing regressions, he could affect some really uh, positive change in people who had issues that had not seemed to improve with other types of therapy. And one day while regressing someone, he he had been with this one particular client, he had not yet had the breakthrough he wanted. And out of frustration, he sort of worded his question different. And he told her while in hypnosis to go back to the origin of this problem. And she spontaneously regressed to a lifetime 2000 years ago or more. Neither of them believed any of this. And it it certainly freaked him out a little bit. And it led him to start exploring this. And ultimately, this woman did improve as a result of having that experience. He now is one of the foremost uh, leaders in this area of past life regression. So I was immediately drawn to that. And I explored it in my personal life. And it turned out to be one of the most healing modalities for me personally. I had a, a, we shortened past life regression to PLR. I had a PLR session with somebody else and it was interesting, but not particularly, you know, mind blowing or anything. But after that, I taught myself how to do it. And when I was up against a particular issue that I just couldn't seem to solve, even with my perseverator mind, I would sometimes try a regression and I was shown many things that turned out to be really helpful. And then one day while getting a massage and um, my massage therapist also does some energy work, I had a spontaneous past life vision that showed me a previous life with some of my family members. And my relationship with this group of family had caused me pain throughout my life. And I really never understood it. And it explained everything. I mean, it was mind-blowing and impactful. All of a sudden, I was sobbing on the massage table. My poor Mm -hmm. massage therapist was like, are you okay? I said, absolutely. It, It was very healing. So when I became, when this friend I mentioned previously moved back and we started spending time together, she started saying to me, I think you should do past life regression. I think that'd be a great career for you. And because this town is somewhat conservative compared to what I'm used to, I just immediately went to imagining all of the people who are naysayers, who um, perhaps are against hypnosis because of religious reasons. And I imagined myself going to a cocktail party and somebody saying, what do you do? And me saying, oh, I'm a past life regressionist. And them just giving me (laughs) the EOI or something. And I just wasn't ready to go that far. In a separate vein, I had about 10 years from the time I closed my store to about 2019, I had a period of 
multiple great losses in my life. I lost a lot of people to illness, to old age, to various things. And it was just really impactful. And so I sort of reluctantly started researching being a past life regression therapist and found that most of the time that was a piece that is taught in a larger hypnotherapy program. And when I started looking at hypnotherapy, I saw all of the ways it can help people. And one of them that I was really drawn to was supporting people dealing with illness and pain. And also those who are at the end of life who might need pain management as part of their journey. And that period in my life showed me that I am somebody who can walk along with someone in their death journey. I think the two most sacred things that can happen or that do happen to every one of us is birth and death. And somehow we are very happy and comfortable with birth. And of course, because it makes us sad, we are not comfortable with death. Um, But I'm somebody who has been present at the death of many loved ones. And it was very clear what a sacred experience it was. I'm very honored that I got to be there. And this perspective I have gave me a lot of peace. And so I was really drawn to the idea that hypnotherapy would allow me to support those who are experiencing pain, who are experiencing transition, who are dealing with grief. And in fact, Grief recovery is one of my certifications because you have different little specialties you do and it's inevitable. And we have an aging population. (laughs) We have a big sort of the baby boomer bubble is impacting a lot of people our age. A lot of people our age are in that uh, middle ground where they're supporting their aging parents as well as their adult or small children. So it's something we're all going to deal with at some point, some earlier rather than later. And I really was glad that hypnotherapy had these multiple avenues, multiple different ways that I can help someone in their journey. I love that. Especially the idea of somebody who has been through what you've been through for our listeners. One of the, one of our interactions over the years is when your sister was sick and when you lost her. And I think people who have been through different kinds of grief often go one way or the other. They either get really good at guiding others or they lose their shit and they can't guide others because it is just too painful for them. And I'm Mm -hmm. so glad that you found a place where you can use that amazing talent you have for bringing comfort to people who are struggling, whether they're the support person, the survivors, or the person who's transitioning. So, wow. That's beautiful. And I keep thinking that regardless of what other, what those naysayers might say when you tell them what you do, they're not your audience. And the more I think about um, how, how I niche my business, I can't change somebody's mind about whether StrengthsFinder is a a useful tool or whether it's accurate. I can't change someone's mind Um, and I don't need to because there are enough people out there that hear what we have to say and that choose to be interested in it and choose to see the value in it. And just like when you're looking for a sign, you're going to find one. That's like what people say. And it's absolutely true. That doesn't mean the sign wasn't there. (laughs) So I'm so glad you you joined me today. Sorry. 
Go ahead. Me too. If I may, I just want to say, I know in one of your podcasts, you discuss, uh, you were leading one of your strengths finder sessions for a group. I believe it was a corporate group and you could very quickly identify the skeptics and you described one interaction in particular with a, a skeptic who was really bound and determined not to, uh, be duped or whatever it seemed to be that he thought was going to happen. Yet it resonated with him. And so one thing I just want to say about past life regression, and this that's not the focus of this podcast, but I want to bring it up. The most common question I get is, how do I know it's real? How do I know if I do a past life regression that it's real? And my answer is you don't. If somebody says, can you prove it scientifically? I'm like, nope, I can't. However, Whether or not you're seeing an actual past life or it is your mind telling you a fantastic story, if it helps you, who cares? It doesn't matter. If it came from the power of your own mind, that's great. That's that's wonderful. That's a great outcome. If it happened to be that you were connecting with a different universe or a different incarnation of yourself and that language works for you, that's also great. If it helps, I'm all about it. Because I've always believed that our personal beliefs are just a language we use to connect with whatever we believe is out there. And if we don't believe there's anything out there, you can still get benefit. If you think it just came from your own mind, you might be right. But if it helps, excellent. <laughs> that's right. the goal. I, I, that's, I think a lot about that too, especially when it comes to strong beliefs. If it is making you feel like you can be a better person because that's the reason you're doing it then whatever it takes that it's the moment that it becomes dangerous where you are judging against others because of your belief, or you are impacting others in a negative way. The consequences of your belief are making it harder for somebody else to have their own belief or to live their life the way they choose. That's when it's dangerous, but when it can help you, when religion makes you, brings you comfort in your sin and comfort in your relationships, then do that. Do what what brings you love and comfort in your life. Ah, oh, I love it. Comfort, Amy, inspiration. Thank you. It, yeah. Yes, thank you. But yeah, comfort, inspiration. Like you said, even if you're just doing something because your religion tells you to do it, if that thing is contributing positively to yourself and others, that's great. I'll take it. We sometimes can get down in the weeds of wanting the uh, the why to also align with what we think the why should be, but your why is your own. And as long as you are harming no one and potentially even helping, I'm there for it. <laughs> I'll, totally I'll applaud that any day. Agreed. I, people who are comfortable in their skin and are dealing with their shit <laughs> so that they can be more comfortable yeah. in relationships because relationships are the key. Uh, healthy relationships are what bring us satisfaction and joy and life. So whatever is going to bring that to you, <laughs> you explore it. Well, and I also think some relationships aren't about comfort and joy. Some of them are about moving us forward. It, sometimes it's about learning what we don't want in our life or what we will no longer accept or about where we need to show up differently. I think sometimes I feel that some of the issues we're all experiencing collectively are because we are putting that locus of control outside of ourselves. We are looking Mm -hmm. for someone to blame. And that is not to say that others cannot behave badly, 
But at the end of the day, you always get to choose how you respond to it and how you show up in your own life. And making someone else the locus of control, you're, you really truly are a victim in that if you are operating in that way, because you are choosing to be. And that's, I don't mean that to condemn. Sometimes people have never been introduced to that concept and they were not empowered in a way to have any agency over themselves or their own lives, especially if their caretakers demonstrated that for them. Mm -hmm. But I find it really empowering when you recognize that you you do have choices at the very least over how you respond emotionally. Yeah, I that's such Certainly a critical factor. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because somebody I was talking to about a year ago said that she was in a group of women that were women who had never had agency. They they went straight from their fathers controlling everything to a husband controlling everything or their brothers controlling everything and you and I, we've had the luxury of being raised by people who see us for who we are and want us to be independent contributors to our communities and our relationships. My parents would always, they were strongly encouraging that our independence as my brother and sister and I were growing up. But the more I see outside of that, the more I realized that was a luxury that a lot of people, especially women, have not experienced. So I'm so glad you brought that up. And it's a perfect, again, full circle to understanding our authenticity, what it is right now, because I think it changes over time. And what are we seeing in ourselves? What do we want to see in ourselves? And what stories do we have to build to make that happen so that we're in alignment with how we want to experience ourselves? I love it. Yes. Alignment is important. Yeah. Authenticity is important. I just want to say one thing that I was thinking about when you brought up Phoebe's earlier. And that was, again, it doesn't have, you don't have to have the same beliefs as I do to have experienced this. But one of the things I feel strongly is that if you are somebody who is struggling to connect with yourself and understand yourself, and the way this relates to Phoebe's is, as you may recall, Phoebe was my yellow lab. She was famous in the neighborhood. People would come in and say, hey, is Phoebe here? They wouldn't even greet me. And as her human assistant, I'd say, yes, let me get her. But I became almost, I I used to liken it to the old show Cheers. And I felt like the bartender that has this cast of characters that come in and talk to me about their life. And they would often ask me for advice. Do you think this? Do you think I should do that when we get to talking? And one of the things I learned as I was, or people is, what I would say to people is you have to listen to the goosebump moments. Mm. When you find yourself getting those goosebumps all over in response to something somebody has said to you, that is a huge sign, whether it be from your own mind or from something external to you, some loving source, it's the only way they can connect with you. Your subconscious mind or God or spirit or whoever you believe in can't send you an email and say, Hey, Sarah, listen, I've been thinking you should go off and become a strengths finder coach and you should start this podcast. And if we did get that email, there was actually a show about this that somebody tried to do a while ago that God was sending emails to people. Um, (laughs) It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. And so our emotions and our body sensations are really important because that's our guidance system. And so as you 
if you accept that idea and you begin to pay attention, you will find that you get so much wisdom. It's a feedback loop and it can be so helpful. And it's also, it ties into authenticity because if you have a bad feeling, that is that same feedback system trying to tell you this isn't the right thing. This isn't the right place for you, or this isn't the right uh, way to show up. It's not making you happy. And we can ignore those things to our own detriment. Negative emotions that we don't resolve or negative situations can turn into health problems. They can, you mentioned relationships, they can destroy relationships, they can destroy health. So some people who struggle with authenticity, I would just encourage them to really get in tune with themselves because you get a lot of feedback when you start listening. Mm, And it's a a great sort of internal guidance system. You get a lot of feedback when you start listening. (laughs) Yes, no kidding. There. <laughs> I could go all kinds of directions from you there. May not but, always uh, be. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it comes back to uh, how are you going to take your feedback wherever it comes from? And sometimes it's coming from a really awful place and you don't have to listen to it, but there's always some aspect of it that you can file away for later every time. Amy, this has been such a treat. I love and, and- catching up with you, spending this time with you. I have had a great time. I'm so appreciative that you invited me on. It's been really good. I'm going to think a lot about this in days to come. Me too. Listeners, now it's your turn. What will you do in the next week to uncover something that maybe is blocking you from something you really want to do? What will you do? Will you take a step tomorrow? Will you take a step the next day to Make a choice to live the life that you want to live. What book will you read and then take action on? Maybe you'll hire somebody. Maybe it'll be a coach. Maybe it'll be a fitness instructor or a life coach. Maybe it'll be a hypnotherapist. But what will you go into with big, wide, open arms and open eyes and open heart to make a change to improve whatever is going on in your life? Thanks for listening to your stories. Don't define you how you tell them will. If you're curious about learning what professional stories and career stories you can share so you can connect with any audience, go to my website, elkinsconsulting.com and let's schedule a discovery call. We can talk about how you and your team can make great ambassadors for their careers and your organization. Thanks for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.